Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer's new study, What Does Spirituality Mean to Us?, reveals how spirituality informs our understanding of ourselves and each other and inspires us to take action for the common good. Explore these findings and more at spiritualitystudy.org. Jericho Brown is beloved in the worlds of poetry and education. Now his book, The Tradition, has won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. We had an audience of Newark High School students for this conversation, which ranged from the proximity of violence and love, the complexity each of us is, and small truths and the surprises they bring. Plus, it was fun to read Jericho's own words back to him. Only the creative mind can make use of hope. Only a creative people can wield it. Come on, creative people. I got some creative people out there. Yes, God. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Jericho Brown is associate professor and the director of the creative writing program at Emory University. We recorded our conversation on stage at the 2018 Geraldine R. Dodge Festival, where we were introduced by the Dodge Foundation's program director, Martin Farrowell. So here's some of what Martin uh, wrote to, first wrote to us in the invitation he sent to be part of this. He said, I think poetry evolved to save us from ourselves. It questions our understanding of what it means to be human and in the process deepens our humanity. History teaches us and the daily news reminds us how easily we forget what it means to be human. Probably no other art form is better than poetry at getting us directly inside another's mind, experience, perspective. The ability to imagine someone else's inner life is where compassion begins. And he said, we could certainly use more of that nowadays. Amen. (laughs) I am also personally grateful uh, for this invitation because it has introduced me to Jericho Brown, to his person and his poetry. I have some poems that I think that I've marked, but if you, in the course of the next hour, just feel called to stand up and read a particular poem, you are warmly invited to do, do so. Do I have to stand up? No, you can sit. Oh. You can. <laughs> um, you grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So I begin many of my conversations with a question about the religious or spiritual background of someone's early life, their yeah. childhood, and yeah. also the the origins of the passions and questions that yeah, drive them. Yeah. And it seemed to me, as I started exploring you, that some of the convergence of your story of growing up in church, in the Black Baptist Church, and, and also what being, becoming a poet meant to you, some of that story is wrapped up in the name you chose as an adult, mm-hmm. that Jericho is not the name you were born with. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you would reflect on that. Do you think that's true, to say that those things come together in your name? Maybe so. I think uh, one thing that I love about being a poet is that I know that I was prepared for it in every way possible. Um, And one of the ways that I was prepared for it is growing up in a black church. Uh, And when I say growing up in a black church, I mean people really went all the way toward pageantry Mm. and toward drama and 
everything and, and toward what they were going to wear and everything they could possibly give it they gave to being in that moment and the energy in that church the energy in that sanctuary was always high and everyone was aware that they were doing it that the energy was high energy because we were making it high energy with our song with the way we spoke with the way we moved. Um, many of you have been to churches or, and, and you know that when you go to a black church, there's no, it's, I mean, hello is, hello and how are you this morning? <laughs> you know, there's all, it's, everything was so grand, right? And you know, a song where the note is, ah, turns into, ah, ah. You know, it's like always a little something more where everything is being given an individual life. This is what my individual self is bringing to it. And, um, and when I changed my name, I didn't really think about it in a religious way, although obviously the name is, is biblical. Yeah, it's a silly, I wonder what that biblical. name summoned up for you. But I, I was thinking about something that I do associate with the church. When I, I was thinking about the other night how I, you, I never had the problem. People have this problem where they're like afraid to write about their family. But I always understood that in my poems, if I were to be writing about the father because of, because of the subject matter of my poems, if I say father, I'm not just talking about my dad. I'm mm. also talking about that father God that I was taught in church. And if I say father, that also would have resonance with fatherland and motherland, thinking about America, thinking about mm. the continent of Africa um, that is unknown to me in so many ways and yet a part of me culturally. Uh, and so I, when I first started publishing my poems, they came under the name Nelson Demery III. Can y'all believe that? And your father was Nelson Demery II. Junior. Junior. Not yeah. second. Yeah. And you know, my dad, my grandfather was senior. And when I would yeah. see my poems come out, they didn't feel like they were, I wanted them to be mine. Yeah. And so me changing my name had a lot to do with, like I was saying, trying to be the individual that emerges within the community. And do I understand it correctly also that, um, that you changed your name when you started writing, really pouring yourself more deeply into sensitive things? Like your relationship with your father, yeah. your earthly father, and also with with being gay and, yeah. well, and how I those did, things came together. I didn't when I, when I was first writing, I wanted more than anything to be able to give all of myself to my poems, and I don't know if I would think that I had to do this now, but at the time I really believed I had to completely transform in order to do that. Um, Adrian Rich talks about this, and when we did awaken. Writing as Revision, one of my favorite essays. Please read it if you haven't. Uh, Langston Hughes talks about this in The Negro Artist and the Racial Mountain. T.S. Eliot talks about this in Tradition and the Individual Talent. And it's, it's this idea that whatever we're writing, we have to be free. You have to have at your access, in the midst of writing, all of your memories, all of your knowledge, all of your beliefs. And all of those things could get turned on their head that what you thought was most valuable comes into question and you have to be willing to go there while you're writing a poem. It's a very dangerous place to be. Uh, it's the reason why if I'm on an airplane and somebody asks me what I do for a living, I, I very quickly tell them I'm a poet, then I don't have to worry about them talking to me anymore. 
Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because people intuitively or instinctively, people know, oh, you're dangerous. You're hugely problematic. You're asking yourself questions that I've been avoiding my whole life, and you think that's a good time. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so me giving myself that name was a way for me to become somebody who wasn't connected to anything that would say to me that I shouldn't be doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be who I am now. I needed to be Jericho Brown because I needed to have that freedom named. And that's what I was going to call that freedom was Jericho. So. There's, a, there's a poem um, called Our Father. Like Father. Like Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wrote okay, it. Okay, there was me, like, transposing my Baptist childhood yeah, yeah. onto the title I of that know. poem. That's what happens. Um, yeah, would you read that one? Yeah, I'll read yeah. it. Like Father. My father's embrace is tighter now that he knows he is not the only man in my life. He whispers, remember when and I love you as he holds my hand hungry for a discussion of Bible scriptures over breakfast. He pours cups of coffee. I can't stop spilling. My father's embrace is firm and warm and now that he knows he begs forgiveness for anything he may have done to make me turn to abomination as he watches my eggs scrambled soft. Yolk runs all over the plate. A rubber band binds the morning paper. My father's embrace tightens, grits stiffen. I hug back like a little boy, gripping to prove his handshake. Daddy squeezes me close, but I cannot feel his heartbeat, and he cannot hear mine. There is too much flesh between us, two men in love. I feel like um, something that you that you reveal and work with in your poetry, and it was certainly in that, is kind of the uh, some I don't know whose phrase this was of you, but it's where tenderness meets violence, mm -hmm. or where where love meets meets alienation, and yet they're both in the same room at the same time, mm -hmm. and in the same bodies, and in the same bodies touching. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, most of my, all of my work seems to go back to this place where love and brutality somehow yeah. come together. And when I say that, people are like, come, no, they don't. Love and brutality don't come together. Not in the abstract. But, but you know, all you got to do is have kids or a parent. And you actually do know what it's like to feel like, oh, I could actually kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I'm not because I love you. Do, you. do you know what I mean? Um, we, we put ourselves through huge inconveniences that, um, that are, are like certain kinds of violence when we fall in love. You know, um, there's somebody in this room who's driven from Massachusetts to California uh, to see somebody for two days. I'm willing, I, I know somebody in this room has done that. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, and so I'm sort of interested in uh, where love goes awry, um, or where people use violence as an excuse for love. Uh, and I'm interested in seeing how that comes out in my poems because it's 
where I can keep asking myself questions. It's something that I don't understand. And I think poems are better built out of what we don't understand, right. not what we do already know, but what we're trying to figure out and better understand. Yeah, and that's an interesting way to say it. And they let what we don't understand, they let that be in the room. They let that be real, and it, they don't contain that urgency that when, you know, the ways we converse and discuss and are in dialogue beyond poetry, there's this compulsion to solve it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or to simplify it. Mm -hmm. Or then if we can't do either one of those things, to move away. Mm -hmm. Poetry lets you stay present to that. Yeah. Yeah. With the discomfort, yeah. but also with the mystery of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's part of actually what we're doing. When we, this is part of why people have a hard time um, with meditation, because to, tr to truly be in the mode of meditation, you can't have judgment on a thought. You just look at the thought. You can't have judgment on a pain in the body. You just look at the pain in the body, and you sort of register things without saying, oh, this is good or this is bad. Mm -hmm. It just is. Um, and then I think you come away from that thinking, oh, well, it must be good because here I still am. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Or, and also, I can survive this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, poems have to make our lives clear. Poems have to make our lives real on the page. And nobody's living an easy life. Nobody's living a life that is anything other than complex. Um, and there are things about our lives that TV's not going to give us, that movies even are not going to give us. And poems are where I go for that. That's where I go for the complexity, the, the thing in us that, that we don't really understand. Why would you act like that? Why would you mm -hmm. say that thing? Why, how could you commit that evil, right? Um, you know, everybody, every murderer's got a mama. Yeah. You know, but we don't like to think about that. That's true. They came from somewhere. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like you are a natural-born conversationalist. Oh. I've said this to you backstage. You're easy. I'm not worried so. about this. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I, I, when I was, I was getting ready to interview you and I was looking at other interviews you'd given and... And uh, I felt like we could just sit down out here and I could say hi. Hey. And then we could go for an hour. Yeah, um, I'm for it. Um, and you were also a speechwriter for the mayor of New Orleans at uh -huh. one point. Yeah. Um, but so I was trying to figure out, like, how do we, you know, how do we focus this? And, and I found this uh, piece, this interview you did in the Kenyan Review. Uh -huh. Do you remember this? And they had asked you at the end, um, they wanted to talk about what would your credo be? What core beliefs do you have about literature and uh -huh. books? And you gave, um, it was a beautiful, beautiful answer. Um, and I just want to pull a couple of those out. And this yeah, yeah, very sure. much follows on what you were just saying. Although, you know, it, the word you didn't use uh, um, is, is you, we haven't mentioned the word politics now. And here's something you said. Every, love, every poem is a love poem. Every poem is a political poem. So say the masters. Every love poem is political. Every political poem must fall in love. You also said, you can't love me if you don't love politically. Yeah, yeah. So tell us, tell us. <laughs> tell you how to love me? Yeah, <laughs> no, tell us, take us inside this very... No, I mean, I just, I, I, I think, I'm interested in all of people. And there's something in us that wants to really take people down to some sort of census report, I guess. And I'm not interested in census reports. 
I'm interested in how you got here today and how you managed to do your makeup in the car in order to do it. Like, I'm, I'm interested in that. Do you know what I mean? I'm interested in the fact that you got two kids and you're getting married and now you're pregnant and you're going to have another kid and you're trying to figure out how these kids are all going to call each other sister and brother. Like, I'm interested in that. I'm not interested in this idea that everybody sort of is only an identity. And I'm definitely not interested in this idea that there are blank issues, like women's issues or black issues, right? If you are really good at hurting black people, you will indeed hurt the environment, I promise you. Mm-hmm. If, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. If you are really good at hurting women, you're probably also interested in war. I promise you. Do you understand what I mean? So, so I, 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 it's, I don't know why we think in order to make narratives that somehow help us politically, we have to take people down to some kind of identity as if that identity does not encapsulate the entirety of humanity and the entirety of humanity's needs. And so when I say, if, if you love me, you have to love me politically, uh, you know, it's easy to know Jericho Brown because, you know, I'm cool. Hey, how you doing? You know what I mean? Um, but I have a history. I have an ancestry. And you got to take all of that when if you're coming with me, that's what we're taking with us. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm going to take that that part of you as well. And um, I think if we could just love each other a little more whole, we all would be a lot better off. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's what I'm that's what I want my poems to point to. Mm-hmm. Right. It makes me think of, um, I've sometimes interviewed, uh, you know, I interview a lot of scientists. You talk to physicists and people who work with mathematics, and they say, you know, this thing we learn in school is, uh, I know, I can see you're saying, where's she going with this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, okay. But like, so this thing we learn in school is arithmetic, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's equations. Mm -hmm. And that's not, you know, the the people who work with mathematics who are helping us understand the nature of the cosmos and help create all this technology we use, they say there's mathematical thinking that is so thrilling. Yes. That is such a thrilling part of the human enterprise, and that's not offered to us. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like what you're doing is, poetic thinking. Yes. Right? I hope so. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, it's not just a way of writing, it's a way of approaching something yes. like putting love and politics in the yes. same sentence. Yes. Yes. And being honest about those things. You know, people are people keep looking for this pure poetry and people have these questions about the political in poems as if poems were ever not political. I mean, as far as I know, the Iliad and the Odyssey are about the a war. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, from, and from that point on, poems ask us to find a place where we can absolutely rupture within ourselves. And I know nothing more political than asking yourself questions, asking yourself, am I right about that idea or am I really messed up? That's, I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And you have to take all of history and bring it down to one, one individual, one self in order to do that. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being, today with the poet Jericho Brown. Mm. 
you were diagnosed with HIV, is that right? A thousand years ago. A thousand I'm years still ago. still alive. I know, but you did, <laughs> yeah, you, wrote, you did write a poem about that, um, To Be Seen. You want me to read it? You weren't asking me to read it. You were going to ask me about it? Well, both. You can read oh. it first or talk about it first. I'll just read it, and then yeah. you can tell me. Yeah. Okay, let's see. This is exciting. To be seen. Forgive me for taking the tone of a preacher. You understand a dying man must have a point. Not that I am dying exactly. My doctor tells me I'll live longer than most since I see him more than most. Of course, he cannot be trusted, nor can any man who promises you life for looking his way. Promises come from the chosen, a lunatic, the whitest dove, those who hear the voice of God and other old music. I'm not chosen. I only have a point, like anyone paid to bring bad news, a preacher, a soldier, the doctor. We talk about God because we want to speak in metaphors. My doctor clings to the metaphor of war. It's always the virus that attacks and the cells that fight or die, fighting. Hell, I remember him saying the word siege when a rash returned. Here, I am dying while he makes a battle of my body. Anything to be seen when all he really means is to grab me by the chin. And like God the Father, say through clenched teeth, look at me when I'm talking to you. Your healing is not in my hands, though I touch as if to make you whole. You're just waiting for me to ask a question, aren't you? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. What do you... What do you... Um, I'm, reali- I'm realizing... Yeah. I'm realizing for the first time in my life that I've put things in books that I haven't read in front of people. You mean right now, for the first time in your life, right yeah. here, with all of us as that witnesses? That there are things in books that putting something in a book is very different from like reading it in front of people. But I'm ha- I'm, I feel really good about this, though. I mean, yeah. it's really fascinating to me, like that very, the different, the work you do when you're sort of letting go and allowing whatever it is, like I, I think I said this earlier, you know, you have to allow whatever wants to come, to come. You have the poems, the, the work you do has to have access to all of your life. And so it's really interesting um, to talk about that in front of folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to see that enacted in the last couple of things I read, yeah. But I mean, that is, that is the thing about writing, isn't it? Because we can't, it's another part of us gets poured into that, that we're yeah. not, we just don't walk around you know, we're not all in a Shakespeare play yeah, yeah. speaking poetry to each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's part of the reason why um, I think the most nervous I've been about this book that's called The Tradition, Get You Some. Um, but the, the, the book in many ways is about rape and, and sexual coercion and... Um, which was while I was writing it, what I knew I was supposed to be doing. And now that the book is coming out, there's not going to be any way for me to run from it Mm 
when it's time to read those poems in front of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm preparing myself mm-hmm. for that. Because um, everybody enjoys their anonymity, um, but I understand that I've signed up for something that doesn't necessarily give me anonymity in the eyes of other people. But I also understand poems can only capture certain tones and they're not how we feel about things forever. They're how we're capable of feeling about things when we write the poem. I think writing poems for me helped transform my feeling about, Mm -hmm. about a lot of stuff. So I think this is really good practice for me to read this stuff Mm -hmm. that you have me reading. Well, it's a pretty intense moment to be writing about rape and sexual violence as well. Were you yeah. already writing about it before? Yeah, it was... I mean, I had been writing this book. The, my most recent book came out in 2014, and uh, I realized that I had said a bunch of things, but that I hadn't told the entirety of the truth. I sort of told part of the truth. About your parents? Or... Well, actually about HIV. Okay. And that I got HIV because I had been raped. So like, so there's this book where I like admit having HIV because I realized after my first book, I realized, you know what? You didn't say that. And you're thinking about that all the time, which means you're lying. Mm -hmm. You haven't given all of yourself. So you have to allow that if that's what wants to come, you're going to have to allow it to come. And so it came, you know, it's not in every poem, but it's there. And then this other book kept being about this this thing, this idea that I have about Greek myth and about Western civilization and about the murder of uh, black bodies for absolutely no reason by police. Mm -hmm. And all of those things have to do, all of that sort of encroaching is like a kind of rape. And in order for me to understand that kind of rape, I had to make it real and literal. And so I had to use my own, which was really something I hadn't thought about I mean, other than in therapist chairs. Do you know what I mean? Like, I really yeah. hadn't thought about how to make that into writing. And so it was the hardest work I've ever done, and yet the most inspired work. And so now I'm in that stage as the book is, we're sort of in galleys and, you know, doing the work we yeah, need yeah. to do to get the book bound. As we're doing that work, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, this is so exciting. What the fuck have I done? Yeah, right. Oh, my God, I can't <laughs> wait till my book comes out so that I can hide under my bed. Uh-huh. Do you, know, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I'll be fine. Like, I read, uh, actually, in New York a couple nights ago, um, and, um, and I got through it. I mean, I was crying and stuff, but I got through it. You know what I mean? And so, I, and so I'll just keep doing that. Because ultimately, somebody needs it. I mean, I need to write those poems because I need to get to the next phase of my life where I get over the stuff that I'm clearly holding in. That's what I need it for, and that's what I'm writing it first. But whenever I write a book, I find that there are people in the world who needed it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm not writing for that, but that's good to get. Well, that's that strange thing that the more... The more authentically and deeply we can speak from our particular experience, we speak to the particular experience of others. Yeah, yeah. Um, so true. Yeah, which it is, is so you know, why weird. it doesn't, it's not quite logical that it should yeah. work that way. But it's true. But we spe- true. You say universal things and they don't yeah. speak to the particular yeah. experience of others. Um, you know, something you just said a minute ago, I just want to, I want to just kind of underline that, that this is you have you are releasing this book in this moment where this whole matter of 
sexuality and, and rape and the spectrum of what leads to that is out in public. Um, and my personal feeling is that we, you know, just that we just scratch the surface. It, it, mm-hmm. it, we reckon with it in public in these really imperfect, flawed mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. But what you just said about that this reckoning with what happens to particular bodies, black bodies or women's bodies, is it actually, it's, our civ- it's connected to this much larger civilizational reckoning with bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we've been told about them. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the reason why um, I say this is the hardest thing and yet the most inspired thing, I think um, in all my reading, I hadn't really been reading any poems that called rape, rape. You know, like we read a lot of poems where rape might happen, but we don't really realize that's what it is. Do you understand what Mm. I mean? There's a lot, I mean, I don't, I haven't read a lot of poems that really interrogate these questions about power and that really look at the fact that men still have no idea what rape is. Um, that really look at, I mean, really, really will rape somebody and not know that they did it. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested in, if we're going to have these conversations, I want to have them, and I have to have them in my genre, right? I think the conversations that are being had should be, if you're a preacher, they should be, you should have them in the pulpit. If you're an engineer, somehow you should be, I don't care what you do, you should be having the conversation you're supposed to have. Yeah, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher. And in spite of that, I think we're sort of calling something something, but we're not interrogating what it is, and we're not answering questions. Like, what is the answer to sexual assault within a community? Right, we know what it is, what the answer is in the workplace. Mm -hmm. We know what the answer is in the law. Mm -hmm. What is the real answer in a community? Right, and we have we have poetry communities where not so great things happen to women. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Mm-hmm. What's our answer to that? Right, um, and so I wanted to write poems that sort of got it, trying to figure that out for myself. So, mm-hmm. what well, was something you said? Something I said. Yeah, I. I don't know exactly. This is a little lighter than what we're talking. Everybody's like, (laughs) what happened? We were having such a good time. (laughs) After a short break, more with Jericho Brown. You can always listen again and hear the unedited version of every show we do on the On Being podcast feed, wherever podcasts are found. On Being is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation, harnessing the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. Learn about the 2020 Templeton Prize winner, Dr. Francis Collins, and his work to find a cure for COVID-19 at templetonprize.org. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, experiencing the 2020 Pulitzer Prize winner for poetry, the magnetic Jericho Brown. We spoke at the 2018 Geraldine R. Dodge Poetry Festival. Something you said about the similarity between poet poems and church services. Mm-hmm. 
that poems have structure and they have music, yeah. and you said, and they even have surprises. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know who's going to shout. I remember I was in church one time. I think I was 10 or 11 years old, and I had just started wearing glasses. I couldn't see the whole time I was growing up, and my mom and dad finally shielded out the money for me to get some glasses. I mean, this was huge in my family, by the way, because glasses were really, I remember they were like a hundred and something dollars, and anything that was three digits was not happening when I was, I'm serious. Y'all yeah. y'all think that's funny, yeah. but I'm serious. They were, we were just blind. I didn't see a dentist until I was like 24 years old. Do you know what I mean? Like anything that cost money, they were like, how are we supposed to do that? We don't have money, and it was real. So I had these glasses, and I was all excited because I could see and this man next to me must have shouted so good and knocked my glasses clean across that church. I know, and they broke. And then, you know, and you know how, you knew that that was going to happen. You knew going to church, somebody's going to get excited, but you didn't know when they were going to get excited. Okay. You didn't know how it was going to manifest itself. And so similarly, um, when I'm writing my poems, I'm thinking about structure in this way, and I'm trying to figure out, well, where is the surprise for me? Where am I going to say the thing I don't expect to say? Right. So, so you know, I've had this a similar conversation with Marilyn Nelson. I know she's. I don't know if she's, she's here in this great. room, but yeah, she's wonderful. This whole thing about the structure and meaning and how they work together. Right? I mean, I kind of think you're saying this like you may be working with the structure, yeah, or within the structure, yeah. and yet you know the surprise yeah. can emerge from that yeah. and must emerge from that. Yeah. Well, you haven't written anything until you say something you didn't expect to say. That's yeah. when you, and yeah. that's the beginning. Yeah. You know, you're sort of right. You're sort of like, oh, here goes some words. Oh, that's a nice word. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you, and you're looking, and as you're writing, you're making sentences, and suddenly you will say something that you have to hurry up and keep talking. Because if you don't, you'll, you have to realize, I just said something, that's crazy, and now I've got to keep going on that point. Mm -hmm. I can't run from that. Do you have, a, do you have a, um, an example uh, or a story of, what was happening in a poem surprising you? This could also be serious. Yeah, I do. Actually, um, maybe, I'll read, um, maybe I'll read one of the new poems. That'd be great. Is that okay with y'all? Yeah. Um, I'll read this one because a lot of people saw it. It was in um, Time Magazine. And it's the first time something really great happened to me. And I could tell my mom. Because usually good things happen. You know, y'all know I don't. My, my mother, you know, I really don't think people who work at Kroger's, there's no expectation that you're going to bring your mom with you to go to work. And when you're an architect and you design a, a building, there's no expectation that your mother's going to, like, watch you draw the plans or walk through the building with you when it opens. Do y'all know what I mean? But when you're a poet, everybody's always like, well, did you send your book to your mother yet? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like... I'm like, no, I ain't crazy. What would I look like sending my book to my mama? Yeah. And um, so, you know, we have an agreement. She, but this she, was in Time Magazine, is that what you said? Yeah, this poem was in yeah. Time Magazine. I sent her the Time Magazine. She yeah. was very happy. Yeah, that's good. She's like, oh, that was nice. Now you're finally writing nice poems. Yeah. I'm telling too much. Now y'all are going to be like, that wasn't nice. <laughs> Four day in the morning. My mother grew morning glories that spilled onto the walkway toward her porch. 
because she was a woman with land who showed as much by giving it color. She told me I could have whatever I worked for. That means she was an American. But she'd say it was because she believed in God. I am ashamed of America and confounded by God. I thank God for my citizenship in spite of the timer set on my life to write these words. I love my mother. I love black women who plant flowers as sheepish as their sons. By the time the blooms unfurl themselves for a few hours of light, the women who tend them are already at work. Blue. I'll never know who started the lie that we are lazy. But I'd love to wake that bastard up at four day in the morning, toss him in a truck, and drive him under God past every bus stop in America to see all those black folk waiting to go work for whatever they want. A house, a boy to keep the lawn cut, some color in the yard. My God, we leave things green. That's a poem. Thank you. So, so literally, I got in. I got to say, I love my mother, mm. and there, you know, which is a feeling I actually have, and many of us have this feeling. I mean, it's but I've never had any opportunity to say that. And it, is, it was the most emotional thing for me. And it was a huge surprise to me to get to a moment where that was indeed the next thing, the thing the poem needed was a truth. And it, it, it seems a small truth. And yet it, in that moment, it was the largest truth because that love for my mother then becomes this love I have for an entire people in a way that I sort of, a sort of a way I'm really bothered by um, the way an entire people can be misunderstood. Mm. So, mm. yeah, that's a surprise. There are other surprises, you know, in this poem. Like when I say, I love black women who plant sh flowers as sheepish as their sons, yeah. which is like me clearly talking about me when I was a kid, but also sort of making that larger, you know? So I like that, that's interesting. Surprises. That, that, thank you. That's fun for you yeah. to share that with us. Yeah. I think um, my way of making a poem is very different from other people's way of making a poem. I, uh, I mean, I do this in several ways. I mean, one of the ways I do it is I have a bunch of things that didn't work and I just put them together and they're all on different pages and I cut them up and I sit them on a table and it's like I'm putting a puzzle together. Mm -hmm. But what I do other than that is I write a line and then I write another line because it riffs off of the sound of that line. And I keep doing that, thinking about the rhythm and the sounds of the line before the line, mm -hmm. but not thinking about what I'm saying. So sometimes I'll have notation, like I'll know that a sound needs to be there, and that sound might be a word like road, but the sentence won't make, the line won't make any sense as we think about sense. I don't care that it doesn't make any sense. I write the next line after that, which sounds something like that line. And then once I've done that, I sort of hit something that makes me where I sort of feel spent. And I look at that mess of words 
and I start asking it questions. And this is how I, I'm better able to get at the subconscious because I have the experience that we have when we're looking at a painting. When we look at a painting, a painting is... And it, yeah, it doesn't, it's kind of impressionistic. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter if, how words. concrete or abstract the painting is. Right. Something in us is driven to say, this is about, you know? Mm-hmm. And we'll give, it a, we'll give it a beginning, right. a present, and we'll give it an after, yeah. right? Yeah. We see two people cro- talking across the lawn, across like a campus or something. There's something in us that wants to imagine what they're talking about. Oh, he's getting it now. I knew she, I knew she wasn't going to put up with that. Yeah. We don't even know. You don't know them people. Yeah, and what are they to each other? What's exactly. their relationship? And if you ask the poem questions, things you think, things that you have experienced, things you lived will begin to come out. Hmm. It's kind of, you know, you actually, your process is structured to yield surprise. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, just... Ask it questions, and you'll find, out, you'll find out what you've really been thinking. And so what I'm saying is we bring to language whatever we're already thinking about. And our job is to really find out, to sort of dig mm-hmm. and see, so what do I really think? What am I really? That's what I'm trying to do while I'm And that on. interrogation is, is not always happening, right? Like that is true in every moment. We're all bringing something to what we see and how we feel about yes. it and how we interpret it. Yes. But this is the process of taking that on, taking yes. it in. What is it that you're bringing? That's a very good way. What do you bring to the moment that you're not aware mm-hmm. you're bringing to the moment? Mm-hmm. And if you can figure that out, then you can also become more of who you indeed are because you're facing right. what you really think, who you really are. And you can make a decision like, do I want to be that person or do I want to more fully inhabit and become this person I have been being? Krista Tippett, and this is On Being, today with the poet Jericho Brown. I think, unfortunately, we have to wind down, but... Oh, um, that's too bad. I know. See, I said we could just keep nattering up here. Um, Well, we we laughed, we cried. We did. (laughs) In the credo... um, you know, so one thing I feel about the world right now is uh, there's kind of, there's a scarcity, there's a fragility to hope right now. I, I, I experience a lot of people saying it's hard to know that what you do, what I do can make a difference, mm-hmm. although it feels like there's so much we want to change. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to read something you wrote in that credo. You said, hope is always accompanied by the imagination, the will to see what our physical environment seems to deem impossible. <laughs> Only the creative mind can make use of hope. Only a creative people can wield it. Do you like on. having your words Come on. read back to you? Say that again. That yeah. was good. Y'all heard that? Now that's the Dodge anthem right there. I like that. That was good. I yeah, wrote that. You did, yeah. Come on, I better write. <laughs> Y'all know that was good. Yeah. Say that again. I'm going to. That's very good. Y'all listen. Y'all write it down. Okay. Oh, it's online. I think it's online. Hope, you can get some of the words and Google it. Hope is always accompanied by the imagination, the will to see what our physical environment seems to deem impossible. 
Only the creative mind can make use of hope. Only a creative people can wield it. Come on, creative people. I got some creative people out there. Yes, God. Y'all better go hope. I like that. Well, okay, so I want, there's something else you have. Oh which my to me, God, this, I right. <laughs> this goes together with that. I love this. People should pay me way more. They should. <laughs> I'm serious. So here's the other thing. People, it's like people feel like right now like... Uh, like the, it's it's hard not to be captive to the loud voices, the loud stories, the bad stories, the catastrophe, yeah, oh and my also God. what there is to work. You know, there's a lot to worry about. You said this: an event happening ten minutes or ten years ago matters if anyone can indeed feel the effects of it now. Mm-hmm. That feels really important to me too, because anyone, right? Mm-hmm. If you have something you did ten minutes ago, one person. Mm-hmm. feels the effect of it. Mm-hmm. That's a metric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. This isn't a question. You just want me to say something about that? <laughs> I'm just using I the agree. occasion I, of having you sitting across yeah. from me to affirm. I, you know, you it's said. hard. We're hard. It's, I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know how y'all. I mean, I've been asking my friends this lately a lot, mm-hmm. right? Like, why are we doing all of this? You know, like somebody introduced me as a cultural worker and I, and I feel like that. And I'm sort of like, but why am I doing all that? And then I realized that it was in the title, that what I do, I do for culture, that I create culture, that I live in and, and, and benefit from culture and that art and that culture make my life worth living and that it pushes me on to see more art, to make more things that I'm a person who believes in living as one would want to see a life, right? That I really do believe in making the poems that I want to be in the world, in teaching the classes that I would want to see if I were a student, in dancing the way I like to see people dance. Do you know what I mean? And I think for me, knowing that I can do that is what I have. And I'm hoping that for more people that can be what you have in this moment, that instead of looking at, um, looking at the things that mean to hurt us, that we can look at each other, mm-hmm. right? That we can hold up in the opposite direction some poetry, that we can hold up in the opposite direction some song, that we can hold up in the opposite direction some belief we have in some community project, some play, something that we are doing, some child that we love, and that I think if we can concentrate on the best of one another, mm-hmm. um, on the best of the best of us, if we can really make the world we want to live in, even if it's only in our own heads or in our own homes or in our own cars on the way to work, then we'll be doing the beginning of something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- Yeah. Um, I feel like we should end with a poem. Hey, and thank you all so much um, for being here. It's page 54. I really appreciate it. Psalm 150. Some folks fool themselves into believing 
but I know what I know once at the height of hopeless touching. My man and I hold our breaths, certain we can stop time or maybe eliminate it from our lives, which are shorter since we learn to make love for each other rather than doing it to each other. As for praise and worship, I prefer the latter. Only memory makes us kneel, silent and still. Hear me, thunder scares. Lightning lets us see. Then, heads covered, we wait for rain. Dear Lord, let me watch for his arrival and hang my head and shake it like a man who's lost and lived. Something keeps trying, but I'm not killed yet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jericho Brown is Winship Research Professor in Creative Writing at Emory University in Atlanta. He also directs the university's creative writing program. His books of poetry are The New Testament, Please, and The Tradition, for which he won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. We recorded our conversation live on stage at the 2018 Geraldine R. Dodge Poetry Festival, which we loved being part of. This year's festival will be held virtually October 22nd to November 1st and will include Joy Harjo, Reginald Dwayne Betts, and past on-being guests Elizabeth Alexander, Natasha Trethewey, and Richard Blanco. Learn more about how you can join them at dodgepoetryfestival.org. The On Being Project is located on Dakota land. Our lovely theme music is provided and composed by Zoe Keating. And the last voice that you hear singing at the end of our show is Cameron Kinghorn. On Being is an independent, nonprofit production of The On Being Project. It is distributed to public radio stations by WNYC Studios. I created this show at American Public Media. Our funding partners include the Fetzer Institute, helping to build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Find them at Fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, dedicated to reconnecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Supporting organizations and initiatives that uphold a sacred relationship with life on Earth. Learn more at Calliopeia.org. Humanity United, advancing human dignity at home and around the world. Find out more at HumanityUnited.org, part of the Omidyar Group. The Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives. And the Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private family foundation dedicated to its founders' interests in religion, community development, and education. On Being is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 